0: Hi, I'm Emily Abbott, the founder of The Brain Possible. We've created this space, our website, and this podcast to offer hope, to explore possibility over limitations, and to create community for families of exceptional children like yours. And we're doing just that, one connection at a time. Here on this podcast, we'll begin another. We're so happy that you're taking this journey with us. Here at The Brain Possible, our passion for nutrition and our focus on gut health in particular is not new. An expert on both is Hillary Boynton, a certified holistic health counselor, GAPS diet expert, cookbook co-author, influencer, and lunch lady. Yes, I said that correct. She is a lunch lady. Clearly, we have a lot to discuss. I've personally been working my way through Hillary's cookbook, and I'm inspired by her journey to feed her family and students at the school where she works nutrient dense, organic foods from local sources. In today's discussion, we'll cover what drew Hillary to the GAPS diet in particular, her take on the importance of gut health, and much more. You don't want to miss this one. Welcome, Hillary. Before we dive into your work on a deep level, I want to hit a big picture question about you. What can you share with our listeners about the importance of healing the gut? Um, Why did you get into this? What drove you to be so interested in this?
1: Well, I guess after struggling with infertility for three years and then ending up with five babies under four, my fourth baby had this severe eczema, which I ended up healing through real food when every doctor, you know, had him on steroid cream and Zyrtec twice a day. And I had all that, you know, kind of tried everything holistic and nothing seemed to work. And then I tried conventional medicine and it was like, I just knew in my heart, it was a bandaid. And then I eventually put him on, um, I discovered the Weston Price Foundation and put him on raw milk and cod liver oil. And he was healed within two months, like just totally healed. And I was just like, what just happened? And then we have a daughter with epilepsy and so after healing him, I was always on a quest for answers for her and had, through the Weston Price Foundation, again, discovered the GAPS diet, which is the gut and psychology syndrome. And I had heard Dr. Natasha Campbell McBride speak a few times at the conferences and was it just resonated with me, the gut-brain connection. And so we really, uh, I was seeing a medical intuitive who just said, kind of out of the blue one day, like you guys need to heal your guts, you need the GAPS diet. And so it was kind of like all the pieces fell into place. And after healing my son, I had started wanting to shout from the rooftops that food is medicine and help other moms grab hold of the reins in their kitchens and learn to cook. And so I was teaching cooking classes out of my home and running this Amish co-op to get kind of an underground co-op to get raw dairy and everything to anybody who needed it, just nutrient dense foods and being a source for people um, and an educator. And there was a woman in my class who um, was a photographer and also on the Gap site. We were both totally overwhelmed and just like, ah, there's no roadmap. And it's so overwhelming. And it was kind of, this was back in like 2013. So it wasn't really mainstream. Nobody was really talking about the microbiome and certainly not the gut brain connection. And so she was just said, we should write a book about this. And so we both just kind of dove in and we got a deal with the publishing company and we just literally, it seems like I, I look back, I'm like, I don't know how we wrote this book, but yeah, with with all your kids. Yeah, but we we're just we were in it. So it was like, I was right going through it. But anyway, so that really just the the aha moment of food is medicine. And then when I really learned about the gut brain connection, I really decided to dive in wholeheartedly and try and heal. She's the, the medical intuitive had said your whole family needs to heal. And looking back, I'm like, Oh, of course, like we were all leaky gut and just, you know, had a look, you know, looking back, I can think of like the speech delays and the ticks and um, the eczema and the, my poor skin and all sorts of things that stem from healthy gut or under gut dysbiosis. Yeah.
0: We haven't really actually talked a bit a lot. I don't know if we've talked about eczema yet on here, but it's so common and becoming more common, like, just like oh, that's just normal for kids to have eczema. And sometimes it gets really, really bad. And a lot of people just think that popping slathering some steroid cream on it is the way to go. And that's the only option. Can you share a little bit about how eczema looked for your son and also what you learned about why, how the GAPS diet would heal and healed?
1: Yeah. So he had, I forget when it started, he was probably around a few months old and he just had like the, the, typical like in his creases his elbows and behind the knees and then his cheeks were always red and his hands were super dry and he was always scratching so if he when he would wake up in the middle of the night I would literally have to pin him to my body to keep him from scratching and like hold his arms and legs down for like two hours it was just like so painful to scratch till he would bleed and then I was putting the eggs I mean the uh, steroid cream on like literally and giving him the Zyrtec. I remember after months and months of struggling, he like slept through the night. I'm like, Oh my gosh, like, wow. And I was so thrilled that it worked. But then I felt like as I, if I would forget to put it on, it would just flare again. So I was just like, this is really just the bandaid. It's not. And I had a homeopath at the time and a more holistic doc who was saying, you know, this is just driving, the steroid cream is driving it deeper into his system. And I and then the conventional doctor was like, I don't even know what that means. That doesn't make any sense. And so it was just like, I was kind of giving, you know, two different worlds and trying to figure it all out. It was this new mom and had all these babies. So it's super overwhelming. And I, for some reason, I tried to start changing the school lunches at this point. My kids weren't even in school, but this one woman who had tried previously, I got hooked up with her. She's like, I'll try with you again. If you want to, you know, jump back in the ring. And she kept talking about her son and how she healed him with raw milk with all of his asthma and allergies. And so that's when I really just dove in and um, tried it. I was willing to try anything. I'm forgetting your original question now. I'm, like, I'm so off the topic. But the eczema. So he was kind of covered. And then your second part to your question was how do gaps?
0: Yeah. Healing. What is that? Yes. what is What is healing the gut have to do with eczema for someone who is one of the Many people who are told that their child has allergies, their child has eczema, that's really, really, really common. And maybe they don't really just like you said, your homeopath told you one thing and your Western medical doctor, conventional doctor told you another thing, kind of dismissing what your homeopath said. What did you get from how they're related, the gut and the and the eczema?
1: Yeah. So when you understand the gut, what really what happens is so going to kind of break it all down into layman's terms, because I'm like, that's how I need things explained is that we think about babies today, their gut health is so different than babies of, you know, our great grandparents age. So when a mom is getting ready to have a baby, um, if you think of moms today, I guess, like think of my microbiome versus my great grandmother's, there's so much less diversity and it's not as rich and what happens. And that's all through like environmental toxins and processed foods and antibiotics and vaccinations and all these things that add up in our systems and contribute to the proliferation of bad bacteria in the gut. And we all have good and bad. But when a baby goes through the birth canal is when they swallow a big gulp of bacteria, which is their initial first inoculation of their microbiome. So if you think of what they're getting from their moms, you know, I don't, well, I had all C-sections. So my babies didn't even have that initial inoculation. They were inoculated from whatever's in the hospital and whoever's, whoever's touching them or whatever was bacteria was around when they were first born. But typically, uh, you know, our great grandparents had very healthy, balanced microbiomes. And now we're typically very unhealthy, unbalanced microbiomes. So what we're passing on is not that great. And then like day one of life, a baby might get a vaccination. So many babies have ear infections and get antibiotics like right away. Or then they get it like my, um, my relative whose son was on 10 rounds of antibiotics before he was even two. So all of those contribute to wiping out your, your, bac- your good bacteria. And so, so then you just think of this poor little baby. The average baby when I wrote my book had 287 toxins in their cord blood alone. So they're starting out toxic, they're inheriting poor gut flora, they're getting hammered with the vaccination. I'm not saying I'm anti-vax or anti-antibiotics. Certainly there's, you know, ways to navigate that are healthier than others, but, and we're thankful for uh, modern medicine in many ways, but it's just this, this, you cannot say that every single baby is going to pop out the exact same and react to the exact same as the next baby. So you have to really think of them as this blank slate. And it's like as moms, I wish I had known so much more because I would have really been able to relax into it instead of making decisions just out of panic or trusting my, my doctor. Um, and I believe most doctors want to do the right thing or think they're doing the right thing, but maybe don't know, have all the information themselves. So unfortunately, as moms have to be like really proactive and detectives and protective of our little newborns, because you don't have a chance to do it over necessarily. So, you know, the the human body is so miraculous. And so if you just let it evolve, you know, without too many disruptions, and you have the information to how to nourish the body and nourish the mom's body and the baby's body, body, then I think we're setting ourselves up with, um, with a better outcome, hopefully. But what happens in the gut is that As the, we all have good and bad bacteria in the gut, but as the bad bacteria start to proliferate and outweigh the good, there are these little villi on the intestinal lining that get shaved down and worn down by the bad bacteria and little cracks are created in the intestinal lining, which should go in one end and out the other ends up seeping out of our guts, which is leaky gut. And the body sees these particles as foreign and launches an attack, which is typically an autoimmune response or allergies, or asthma, eczema, or they can even cross the blood brain barrier and cause neurological issues. So most people unfortunately have leaky gut and most babies nowadays suffer, you know, some sort of leaky gut. So when you're having that response, it's a sign, right? It's a telling us something. And so we really have to get to the root cause of that. And when you heal and seal the gut, it's amazing how quickly things can clear up. And especially for babies, because they're not, you know, they haven't had 40 years of toxins and all this stuff, you know, so it's easier to heal the younger they are, I believe. It's just, it's important to kind of catch things and quickly get after them if you can and try and understand that balance and rebalance because then, you know, there's no better gift than a healthy baby. And so, hopefully, okay. So you had all five
0: of your kids when you started the GAPS protocol?
1: I had all five of my kids. Yep. I think my, the triplets were nine and then like seven and six. Were you eating pretty healthy then? Yeah, we had discovered real food. So we were kind of like out with the, like when the triplets were born, we were kind of all of the organic food, like the pirate booty and the organic cereals and like puffins and all the things that I thought were healthy because it was organic because it was organic so we're you know organic was the new kind of buzzword but then when um when I discovered the Weston Price Foundation it was really like out with the cereal out with anything processed and in with the bacon and eggs and the you know fermented foods and the healthy pastured meats and eggs and so you you were eating like
0: out of let's say nourishing traditions cookbook
1: Yeah. So, and I had been fat free for, you know, almost a decade in the nineties through end of high school, all of college. And I'm certain that that completely screwed up my system and that contributed to my infertility because I was just eating like processed carbohydrates and not taking care of myself. And a lot of that, you know, fake fat free foods. Were you quite thin? You know, I was actually 20 pounds heavier than I am now. You're tiny. Now you're very fit, like um, you look like you probably run or something. And I don't, you know, I only really walk. I've just recently gotten back to yoga like one day a week because there happens to be something down the street. But I it's amazing when you eat right, how your body just is in balance. I don't have to do too much. I'm always outside and taking opportunities to be active. And I'm always lifting things, but more sort of live the life of and not even totally. It's not like I'm out like tilling my land and whatever, like you know. I've seen I, I've watched a few of your videos of you're lifting firewood. Oh, there you go. <laughs> or your children. I think about yeah, I think about what I can do that's really natural in um you know the way that our ancestors used to move and walking a lot and getting fresh air and lifting heavy things and doing, I always say do what you can when you can. So, but when I was eating fat free, I was probably just in this constant cycle of spiking my blood glucose level. And, um, and really, I mean, God, if I had been tested, I probably could have been diabetic. Who knows? I don't know. Then I was drinking like a fish in college and I had poor skin. I mean, it was really like, I was just inflamed, I think, because it was all just like unnatural,
0: you know? Yeah. Yeah. I get it. I think a lot of people, moms can probably relate to that one.
1: Yeah. Well, then after the kids, it was like complete overwhelm, you know, not sleeping enough, eating balance bars throughout the day and drinking coffee in the morning or lattes from Starbucks and then drinking wine at night. And I had had all of a sudden, like, I thought I had shingles. This is when, like, I definitely, my baby was like six months old. So it was like five and four. And my right eye would take 10 seconds to open in the middle of the night. No doctor knew what was wrong with me. I'm sure I was headed towards autoimmune disease. Just so broken down you know and just thinking of all the the wear and tear that five babies sucked from and like you know all that nutrition they sucked from. they babies.
0: do they actually do and they tax your body one obvious like this is just an example but there's many many other ways that they tax your body and deplete you of minerals and everything that we don't notice but I had gestational diabetes with the twins and then I had it again after with my fifth child and they said it was similar to each time my pancreas would be weaker because like it it was going to be I was more likely to get it with just the single pregnancy the fifth child because I had already had it and it was weaker each pregnancy they
1: said huh wow I don't know I was like my kiss. They're like, you cannot have a V back because your uterus is like getting more and more stretched out with each pregnancy. So
0: Oh my gosh, I can't imagine with triplets. How how many weeks did they go till?
1: 33. Wow, good for you. Or like I was on bed rest for 15 weeks. So wow. like now I kill for one day of bed rest. I'm like, oh God, someone to tell me I had to lie in bed for. <laughs> okay well before i
0: i want to start talking about um the manzanita school but before i do that you said that i just want to get a timeline straight here for myself and for anyone else who's interested in this you were already eating cooking with bone broth and doing the organic thing and you got processed food out before you decided to start the gaps and so what I want to do is like take a moment to pause and and hear what that just doing that did for you guys so that anyone listening who because I, for instance, I cook out of your cookbook and I got uh, nourishing traditions, the original one, and then the one for baby and children, I have those back when my son was born. Um Dr. Woodard, our pediatrician, recommended I, I picked that book up. and so we've been eating like that for a while. Um so for me, for instance, It's done a lot for us, but I'm wondering like what it was for you. What had that, did you plateau at a certain point? Because your kids still had eczema and there was other things still going on. And then you decided you needed to take it a step further to go to gaps.
1: Yeah. I think, um, looking back, you know, I think like my husband and I were totally inflamed just after years of like living, you know, party lifestyle and eating whatever we went out to eat a lot when we were first together. And, you know, I always remember I would get like the luncheon style chicken teriyaki with rice and veg, like thinking I'm so making such a good choice. And then we'd have like the cheese and crackers and a couple coronas or whatever. And like, looking back, I'm just like, Oh my God, the quality of the food was probably well, it was terrible. The amount of sodium, like the bad salt that was probably in the bad vegetable oils that were in there and we we just it was sort of like I didn't grow up eating out at all but his family ate out a lot and then we lived in this little town where there was like restaurants all around so and that's one of my biggest things now is that people just don't realize when you go out to eat no matter how nice the restaurant you're usually getting you know a lot of vegetable oils and whatnot that are not necessarily you know and
0: rarely as not- the food organic but there's a few but even the nice restaurants mm.
1: yeah when you learn to cook I mean, we, we never go out now. And when we do, it's just like, like pay a ton of money. And then we're like, we could have made that better ourselves pretty much. You know, it's just like, um, I mean, there's a few, like you said, a few rare places. In in only certain parts of the country too, but yeah. 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 So we had noticed, you know, I just wasn't into it. I'm kind of like that all jump in, you know, and it was challenging because my family, like extended family was just like, oh my God, she's off her rocker. Like, what is she doing? And, you know, nobody was really on the same page. And so it was really, I think, looking back more threatening to people and looked at as I was being kind of more elitist or snobby about things. I'm pretty sure that there's a lot of people in my family my husband's family maybe that think that of me. Yeah, and it's so painful because you really, as a mom, you just you all of a sudden get it, and you're like, "Oh my gosh, I'm never going back." And you have these little humans that you're responsible for, and we, as moms, I feel like carry the weight of the world on our shoulders. We have like nurtured these babies inside the womb, and you know, that's our purpose. I feel like is to 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 take care of them and to protect them. And when you realize, like all these things that you've been doing, are not in their best interest, it's like why would you? Why would you give a baby something that you know is not good for them? And so, when you see somebody else doing it, it's really hard to uh, to your own children, like a grandparent or a parent or or a um, sibling or whatever. It's like it's just or a coach. You're just like ah, like why is everybody? Still doing this, but we have to understand that we've kind of become so removed from like nature and food and we have no culture really around food. It's not past these like ancestral traditional recipes and wisdom. They're just not passed down anymore, unless you happen to be lucky to have a, a parent who passes that down. So I just think for all those mamas out there that are listening, who are struggling, there is no greater gift than you can give to your family and to yourself than learning to cook. It is like, it's a lost life skill. And then passing that down to your children and get excited about it. It's not easy, but it's like a blip to learn. And then you're set up and you're just, you again, you just get it and you get your systems rolling. And even if you're not like, I I didn't grow up loving cooking or being inspired by cooking or any of that, but there's something so um, innate in me that wants to nourish and feels so good about providing, you know, meals that I know are life promoting instead of pushing my child towards the medical system. Have I learned to be a little more balanced? Yes. Like I just bought my kid a hot chocolate the other day and I was like, let's just get a small. And he's like, please, please, please. Can we get a large, can we get a large? And I like somehow caved and it's just like giant hot chocolate. And I like literally was like, can you just sweeten it with honey instead of whatever? And he's like, well, it's already a thing. And I'm like, and then I was like down the rabbit hole. So I didn't want to like, so many times I've been like, we're not getting it. Like I'm not like that extreme mom, but I, I let it go and I tasted it. And I was like, God, it reminds me of like skiing back in the day, like in New England, like getting that cup of hot cocoa in the ski lodge is just probably filled with Your junk, blood sugars, probably, I don't, I'm like, totally. your mind is like going crazy. Yeah. And then, I, but I'm like, I've learned that, you know, we've done so much healing as a family that it's okay and I've also learned if you're so, so, so extreme that they do push and push and want to go in the other direction. So to have those, you know, moments where you can let go, like we I got buns the other day for hot dogs. I bought like really, my son picked out really nice hot dogs. So I was like, okay, we'll get them. And, but they beg for buns and I never get buns. And I was like, oops, I didn't get buns because there's just no great hamburger buns or hot dog buns. i are going to make, even when I make like sourdough, they're like, these just aren't same. <laughs> So I got these buns that were a total compromise. And my son, my 12-year-old, ate three hot dogs with buns. I'm like, can we stop at two? And then he's like, I really just want another. And I'm like, Hillary, like, let it go. And then he had three. And then he felt totally sick. So I was like, well, there's the lesson, right? So <laughs> sometimes they have, they have to learn the hard way, like we did, right? Well, if you didn't eat the way that you do, he
0: probably wouldn't feel sick. Because he would always have this underlying many different symptoms that, well, I know I look back at how I grew up and my family was laughing at me, but I couldn't make it to the, like, I had to run. When I knew I had to go to the bathroom, I, had, I didn't really have much time. And, and, it, and it was just like, oh, that's IBS. <laughs> I, I don't think so. I don't think that was. I think it was because I was eating things that my body hated.
1: But because I ate those on the regular, it seemed like that was normal to me. I know. Unfortunately, I don't think people know what it feels like to feel good. And that's the other thing, too. When you start to feel good and your skin starts to clear and your digestion starts to balance out. I mean, I think I struggled with constipation like all of college and, you know, but it was just kind of the way it was. Like nobody was explaining to me that, you know, it was not normal. Nobody so, and I didn't really talk about it. Poop is like a really hard thing for people to talk about, but you should be going every day and it should be, you know, healthy moment every day. But it's just, I think it's become to just have these like, you know, unhealthy habits and unhealthy feelings. And it just, yeah. So it's sometimes not until you, you feel, the, feel better that you can look back and be like, oh yeah, wow. Hmm. Okay.
0: I w- want to hear about the Manzanita School. That's actually how I heard about you. You know, I've been digging a lot more in depth to, well, the the reason I wanted to start The Brain Possible and the Who Is Carter Foundation, I had already, you know, had uh, layers from raising Carter. And when I first, you know, picked up that Nourishing Traditions cookbook, because my pediatrician recommended it 10 years ago, and all different things that I learned and treatments that I learned along the way with Carter that improved our quality of life and his quality of life. I wanted to introduce that. But then as I got even more in depth, developing the brain possible, I would pick up, you know, I picked up this magazine at Whole Foods and it happened to be the one that was talking about your work as a lunch lady.
1: Oh, maybe the well-being journal. It is. I actually still have it because it has so much good information in
0: it. It's just, you know, sometimes there's a, a magazine like, that you keep because it's kind of like a book.
1: Oh, Yeah. That's so awesome! I love to hear that you found that. They're so great.
0: I had forgotten that's how I found you. Until I was, you know, preparing for this interview, I was looking at your page more in depth, and I saw a post that you posted of the picture of the magazine, and I was, oh my gosh! And I have the magazine here. So I want to talk more in depth about Gaps and your cookbook, but I'm also fascinated by the Manzanita School. Can you tell us a little bit more about the mission? And how you wound up there as the lunch lady? Yes.
1: Yeah, so, well, we, gosh, we ended up moving across the country. My husband at the time had been diagnosed with cancer back in like 2012 or 13. I can't even remember, but we were on the GAPS diet when that happened. And so at that point, I knew so much about the immune system and gut and all of that, that we didn't really tell anybody for like eight months, we did all sorts of holistic things, clean, like we basically rebuilt his immune system. And we ended up moving to California for a more alternative treatment. And also just to get out of stress, we realized how much stress plays a huge role in disease, I think it's probably maybe the number one cause and things that tip people over the edge. And um, we kind of bopped around a few different towns in LA. And then Literally his first day out of bed, we like drove to Topanga, this little canyon town in the mountains here. And and somebody told us about this little tiny nature-based school. And we drove up and they were in their first year. And we drove up and I met the chef. And my book, so my book had just come out. And the chef had said to me, oh, we caught our own fish today and cooked it up. And I was just like, what? And then she said she wanted to roast a whole goat. And I'm just like, at that point, like my people, like I found my people because I tried in Massachusetts to change the public school lunches for years and just like, oh, just was banging my head against the wall. So I got totally fed up with that. And then I was like, oh my gosh, this is incredible. And for me, it was like, that was such an important part of education that I felt like this was just, I mean, between the nature connection, which actually the school brought to me, I feel like I was very just dis- disconnected From nature looking back. And so I really hope to bring that to people as well, uh, so that we see that we are part of nature, that we're no different really than anything in nature. But that's where I fell in love with the school and my kids enrolled. But as the school grew, the lunch got outsourced. And that's when all of a sudden my beautiful, like, you know, school lunches were like, you know, more typical. And I was just like, oh, shoot. And so I really started um, talking to the head of school about how can I help? And this needs to change. And this doesn't really go hand in hand with the philosophy of the nature-based school. You can't be having like factory farm meats and all this. So he hired me as a snack coordinator and a consultant to the lunch lady. And so at that point, I literally would go to the farmer's market and talk to every farmer I could. And I would get anything cool and fun and in season and unique that I could and deliver it to the snack table. And I would set up really beautiful. I mean, and it was like, You know, from zoodles to zucchini soup to, you know, making sourdough bread or making fermented beet kvass to getting a, you know, chestnut that's this prickly thing and putting a chalkboard sign out that says like, does anyone know what this is? Like the more I could engage the kids with different fun things, the more they hung around, like snack had typically been like run down, rip open some rice cakes, take off and go play with your friends. And so now it was like the kids were starting to engage and they were, I remember there was this little trio of sixth grade boys that would like literally do like daffies off the little staircase and be like, what's for snack, Miss Hillary? And they get all excited about it and try all these new things. And so it was sort of like, I was kind of outshining the, the lunch program. And once a month I got to do a big, I got to take over the lunch and do a lunch for parents and kids. And so we would do this huge harvest, like thank. Giving thing and we'd invite farmers in to talk and so it really was about this closed loop system and showing you know the kids and the parents you know the farmer who produced the food and then all of a sudden the food is right in front of them they could sit down together and eat it and ask questions and so then that Christmas and the lunch lady I think I kind of overwhelmed her a little bit with like handing her nourishing traditions and saying we could cook organ meats and do bone broth and she was just like what is she talking about super nice. And looking back, I probably would have wanted to punch me too, if I were the lunch lady, because I was just like this little like, let's do this. And to her, it was probably super overwhelming. But it was like Christmas time. And I just said, you know, like, this isn't changing. And you know, my story, like, I wouldn't wish cancer on anybody. And these kids need this now. Like, why would we wait? And so he handed me the keys to the kitchen in December. And I had one week to hire a staff and clean up the kitchen from, you know, like, Teflon and aluminum pots and pans to going to home goods and restocking everything. And then I had to cook for a hundred pretty much every day. So um, I know and I'd only ever cooked for myself and my family of seven. So it was sort of like just learn by doing and jump in and just do it. But I had some good staff and and we just we were super passionate about it. And it was fun. I mean, looking back, I'm sort of like it seems now it's been three years and it seems like that was intense, but <laughs> it was so rewarding, you know, and then like right away, people would say like, I don't even feel hungry for dinner and I just want bone broth for dinner or can I have more fermented ginger carrots and like all these, you would see all these little aha moments and a little one of those sixth grade boys was like, I used to feel like this all day long and now I just feel like this. And so he was having these blood sugar spikes and now he felt even. And so we had all these, you know, this great feedback. So it was really, um, it was pretty amazing. So That sounds amazing, like a dream school to me. <laughs> well, it was, it was literally like nourishing traditions, you know, infused in school. It's the, the way it should be. And, and we really, we did develop the 20 menus to change your school lunch. Like, I believe this can be done and scaled to a hospital, to any school. It just Could you imagine if people in hospitals ate like this? I know. They need to. I mean, I have a, an Instagram follower who's going through a really intense cancer journey herself and she just two little kids and she just texted me and said that she's getting chemo and they're offering her uncrustables and diet soda and like jello or something else filled with sugar and dyes and, and just like why where is this disconnect and why is this okay? And so it's something has to shift in a big way. I'm hoping that well I just was watching some things that I had done at the beginning of COVID, and now I'm like, okay, nine months in, like, I was so hopeful in the beginning, like everyone's waking up to that they have an immune system and taking control. This is the time and we're going to learn to cook, we're in our homes. And now it's been like nine months or however long, it's been a long time. And I don't know that much has really changed for a lot of people, certainly some people, but I think a lot of people are just like, I just want to go back to normal. And it's like, normal was not helping us, you know, like, we need to switch things up and recreate what we or create what we want to see, you know?
0: Yeah. I was talking to our editor about how, you know, she, it's, it's, it's fun. Cause I think in, in, in a lot of instances, she stands on a different opposite um, viewpoints as me um, during all this. So we don't talk a ton, but I mentioned about anything happening in the, the space media right now, which I love that we have both bring our viewpoints to the table, but I was sharing with her that I, it gets frustrating that, no one has been speaking about boosting your immune system like hey you shouldn't go to burger king um you shouldn't be eating these things it's just that's not the topic no no more uh, eating you need to eat better this is if they were to tell us all of a sudden just like when they used to say that you had to have you should take cod liver oil every day back when was that
1: like in like the 20s or something. Or yeah. Like, and
0: there was, and it was, what was it to?
1: You get your vitamin A, your fat soluble.
0: Yeah. And, and they would tell, and so everyone would do it. And, and that's, and if they were to tell us to eat better or then we would, a lot of people would, but they're not doing it. And she goes, well, maybe we should be the people to tell them. And I'm like, okay, well, yes, that's exactly right. We all should be. I think so. More of us need to talk about that.
1: That's, I think it's a grassroots effort. It's not going to happen from the top down. So I've, I've come to terms with that and realized that like, if I can just change, you know, one person at a time and keep us mamas, I just writing, like us mamas are a powerful group of people. And so we really do drive the market, you know, on many levels of what, you know, is produced. And if we start demanding and voting with our dollar and demanding for fresh foods and properly raised meats and foods that support brain health and gut health for our children and refusing the status quo but it takes it takes the mama to also take control of her own kitchen too and start leading by example and unfortunately you kind of have to be that salmon that's swimming upstream and take all that you know flack and all the people that just don't understand you and so it's very 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 hard to go against the mainstream especially when you're going against doctor's advice, you know? Like, I remember my dad having Alzheimer's and sitting in the, you know, it was devastating. And I'm sitting in the room with my mom and the doctor's like, well, the best diet for your dad would be a vegan diet. And I was just like, what? Like, you know, fine, clean him out and detox him. But then he needs like healthy fats for his brain. Like he, you know, just, and my mom was sort of like, well, she's not a doctor. Like, cause I was reading with my Weston Price pamphlets and all this stuff and trying to tell him about, you know, I wanted my parents to understand that like diet plays such a huge role, but the doctor's influence was so strong, you know? So it's just like, we have to, we have to understand that diet is not everything, but it is foundational. And the foods that we're eating right now are mostly devoid of any deep nutrition. And our ancestors knew, you know, if you look back a hundred years, people were not obese. They did not have diseases in epidemic proportions. I mean we have 54% of our children with a chronic disease, like diagnosed. That doesn't include the undiagnosed and the soft diagnoses. And then we have 88% of our population is metabolically unhealthy. So you wonder why everyone's running around in fear in this country cuz they know if they get sick, their chances of, you know, a lot of people have so many comorbid conditions, so it's it's a it's a challenge, but I just wish that our leadership was yelling, get healthy, get outside, move your body, eat locally, eat seasonally, learn to cook. You know, it's not not happening. It's more like sit inside, wear your mask and just wait for a vaccine. And then we'll go, things will go back to normal. But I'm sorry, there's going to be another virus sometime. And what's going to happen then, right? It's like, we're just putting that steroid cream on. We're not getting to the root cause. And so that's where I just feel like this narrative is so backwards and It's just norm. And so people are just so used to it. And what's happening now is like these children growing up, this is just, you know, we're getting so farther and farther away from those ancestors that had the right information. They say like when an elder burns, it's like a library burns down. And so I was saying to my sidekick Rita the other day that we are ancestors in training. Somebody said that at some thing I went to. That's so smart. Like we are... We have to have this knowledge because we're the ancestors now that are going to pass it down. But if we don't take that responsibility, then it's not going to get better. It's just going to get worse. And we're just going to be spending our days taking care of sick kids and sick parents and be sick ourselves. And I have so many friends that I've lost in their 40s to cancer. And so it's like, it's, it's happening. So it's like not to be negative. It's more to be, I hope, inspirational that this is like, Really real and it's time to wake up and be like, I'm gonna take one step today towards better health, you know, and I'm gonna decide. I'm just gonna decide. Like with my gaps book, I say that hardest part was deciding to do it. But if you just decide that you're gonna take control and you're not gonna like go with the status quo, I think that's the best thing that people can do, that you're just gonna decide to learn. And it might take two years, It might take two months, it might take six months, but you're gonna do it. And your family's going to be better off for it because the human body wants to be in homeostasis, and it's miraculous how it can heal. When I look at how inflamed and unhealthy I was, to now you know totally in balance and feeling good every day. So anyway, that was my rant. that was my rant. <laughs> oh, it's a good rant. I love it. I think it's such an art
0: um, cooking, and 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 like you said, learning to be an ancestor. I haven't heard that before, but um, it, it really that's how I feel about the kitchen and cooking nourishing meals. It's like you're making art.
1: Yeah. And and you get to serve love. <laughs> yeah. You're giving up that vitamin L. I think for like when I, I was a furniture painter before having kids and I say like the kitchen became my canvas, you know, it really was a place to be creative.
0: Well, so I've been, I've personally been working my way through your heal your gut cookbook and I love it. What inspired you to create these recipes? How did the cookbook come to life? I know you and Mary got together and she took all the beautiful pictures for the book, but um, she was also eating this way herself. Um, So it it was a labor of love between the two of you creating this. And how did the cookbook come to life? Did you, were you already creating all these recipes at home and just kind of playing for a long time? And,
1: you know- Mary was really instrumental in that she is very organized and very thoughtful about the layout and what needs to the steps, the, you know, the process that somebody would go through as I'm more like haphazard, just like, you know, always fly by the seat of my pants. And so he really kind of, you know, I came up with a huge laundry list of recipes and we knew like the nourishing traditions, like, or the, the foundations of gaps, like where there's the meat stock and the bone broth and the, the, traditional methods of like preparing um, nuts and seeds and then raw dairy and making fermented dairy and fermented vegetables and stuff. So we knew all those basics. We wanted to, you know, clearly uh, show visually too, because I'm a visual learner. So I really wanted a lot of... I am too. That's one of the things I love about the book is the pictures. Yeah. Without photos, I'm just like, "Mm." it's not as inspiring either. Right. And she's a brilliant photographer. So she could just make it really just look like you wanted to dive right in and that was the thing about gaps it was like this amazing book the gaps diet but it was like with no pictures and and very sciencey and the god bless natasha came on the but i was like ah like i don't and there were very few blogs like a few things were starting out but nothing was there were no photographs that were very inspiring so it's just like but when you look at what the diet is it's all just real it's just real food it's art it, Beautiful, real food. And so, real food doesn't take much of anything to be beautiful. So, we really wanted to show people that you can eat delicious, nutritious, amazing food and heal. It doesn't have to be this, like, you know, crazy, hardcore. Boring, yeah, boring and starvation. Like, you get to really eat, you know, as much as you want. You just can have to eliminate certain offenders, you know? And it's not meant to be forever. It's meant to be. A, a protocol that you go on to heal and then you can expand as you, as you heal. Yeah. You mentioned to
0: me offline that your daughter has epilepsy. Have you found that natural organic and nutrient dense meals are helpful for her?
1: Yeah. So she's, it's so interesting. And, um, you know, we, she started having seizures when she was four and just petite mal seizures and little eye rolls and stuff. And her uncle, paternal uncle and paternal great-grandfather had epilepsy. So all of a sudden I was like, oh my gosh, you know, there was this gene that somehow I feel like had been flipped on. And so I was trying to turn the gene off. You know, I'd learned about epigenetics and whatever. So for the last like 12 years or whatever, I've been desperately trying to solve the problem and switch that gene off. But shes I always say she's my biggest teacher because her journey has been, I mean, when we started the GAPS diet, she quickly went more ketogenic. From you know just gaps where there's honey and stuff like that, she went very ketogenic. So a lot of people are like, "Oh, she has epilepsy. Did you try a keto diet?" I'm like, "Yeah, we tried for like we tried it three separate times. We you know we're very disciplined about it, whatever. And it didn't seem to be the answer for her. We tried CBD. we tried you name it. Like I think we've tried it. And this poor child has gone through like every single protocol, and she's been super disciplined. And nothing has really you know completely eradicated her epilepsy. But what I have realized is that And this is really more recently, a lot of parents would probably resonate with this because it's like, you know, every time she'd have a seizure, I would be like, oh, God! like, what did we do wrong? And why isn't this working? And it was I just took it so personally. And now that she's 17, I really realized like stress plays a huge role. Like she didn't have grandma seizures until all of a sudden she found out her dad had cancer and we moved across the country and disrupted her entire life and took her out of like everything that was stable for her. And then um, those continued for several years, sometimes once a week, and always just trying to find answers. And again, it was like she'd have have seizures on medicine, and she'd have seizures of medicine. So it was almost like, why would I have her on the medicine if she's going to have seizures on the medicine? And so anyway, so and I was always like tortured of trying wanting to just heal her with food alone. But she has grown up with these, you know, core foundations of really nutrient dense foods. And she is the one that actually makes the most beautiful plates of food. She's very conscientious about it and loves loves real food. She loves sauerkraut. She like, whereas my boys are kind of like, oh, I just don't know that I ever need to have sauerkraut again in my life, you know? But she, so stress certainly plays a big role. And what I've realized as a mom is that I may never be able to fully take away her seizures because it can be just like, boom, a fight or flight response can be triggered, whether it's excitement or, you know, something horrible or whatever negative that triggers it but that can cause a seizure so all I can really do I think right now i mean is keep supporting her but is to give her the the toolkit for life right to set her up with as many lifestyle hacks to have a balanced not only balanced gut but a balanced nervous system you know what do you do in those situations and to give her that that nature connection that she gets from school the community that she gets from, her school and where we live and the confidence that she can do whatever she wants to do in life that, you know, this is doesn't define her, but it's, it's one of those things that there's just no magic bullet. And I've realized as a parent, after seeking every single possible alternative remedy and having many, many, many alternative doctors say like, she'll never have another seizure again after this. And then she does.
0: (laughs) Someone would tell you that?
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I would be wary of someone who says never or... Yeah. Or like, you know, this should take them away or this should. And so it's, it's a journey. I mean, I know it's kind of cliche, but as a parent who has a child who suffers, you just want to be able to heal them. And maybe that's my lesson in life is that I can't fix everything, but I can just surround her with all the love and nourishment, whether it's, you know, emotional, you know, food, whatever, and support her that way because I'm not going to be here forever right so I want her to be able to have these foundations of health moving forward on a broader scope what has and has not worked so keto
0: didn't work for her and it sounded like CBD didn't work for her is there anything that
1: has helped a little
0: uh, it sounds like nervous system balancing her nervous system has been really
1: good for her yeah i would say one thing that's great is the heart math solution have you heard of that heart heart math? yeah Like a little thing that clips to your earlobe and clips to your phone. And you, it's this little round icon that you, it shows your nervous system, how if it's like up and down and all stressed. And then as you breathe, it shows you this little circle that breathes in and out. And as you breathe in and out, you go from red to blue to green these little each with each breath, you can calm your nervous system. Wow. So. Very visual for anybody to see how the breath correlates with your stress and your. Wow. Yeah. So that's been that's amazing. I mean, she's kind of been on and off of that sometimes. You know, it was a big part for a long time. But now I think she's kind of has that tool within her now. She doesn't need to clip it to her hair. Right. It's just
0: kind of like training you. You don't need to use that forever, probably.
1: Yeah. And I think um, what else? Well, the healthy diet for sure. Is, and sleep, sleep is super important. Yes. Yep. So like, you know, we, we had to take a dog to the emergency room late at night, like, you know, 11 didn't get home till two. And then the next morning she ended up having a seizure. So it's just like, oh, like what happened was a disruption of sleep. And that's a kind of a known, a known disruptor for epileptics. So, you know, she's amazing her resiliency and she really has said to me the last time, you know, I just need it. Like she gets really upset when I, she doesn't remember having them. So when I say you had a seizure, she'll be kind of upset for a little while. And she's like, I just need to process it and then I can move on. So she takes a moment to really process and be disappointed or be upset about it. And then she kind of just like miraculously pulls herself up by the bootstraps and is just like back at it, which is amazing. So, you know, we all have challenges, right? And I think for her also to see, that she hasn't really discovered her own voice around it too much. She doesn't really want to talk about it, doesn't want to. I can understand that. Yeah. So I think if she chooses to step in, she wants to inspire other little kids to pursue their dreams and whatever. She just wants to be a a source of inspiration. She loves to sing and stuff. So I really think because of her journey, she realizes like she can she can do whatever she wants and that, you know, anybody can. And she sees people that struggle way more than she does. So she has a very deep level of compassion for people and empathy, which is something you can't actually, it's one of my strong suits because of it, I believe. Yeah. You're just sort of knocked down in some ways that you have to, you just, I don't, I don't know. And I've never experienced it. You know, my boys do not have that level of empathy at all. So yeah, I mean you have to look for the gifts that come with it, and it's a moment by moment thing. Sometimes I just can go into that worry of what will life look like, or what if I'm not there, or but ultimately I can't control it all, you know. She's seventeen now, and she's been having seizures since she was four. A four, yeah. So we're working always. Like I'm, I'll never give up trying to find answers and strategies and. But I think sometimes too, like I remember I was going to some like, I forget what it's called, but it was like a brain train thing when she was like 10 and Kalina, they put the little things on the kids do games and they map the brain and whatever. I can't remember what they do, but I remember my mom saying like, cause we had to drive like a half hour to get there. And my husband at the time was kind of down and out in treatment. And she's just like, do you think the stress of it all is worth it? And I'm like, yes, like this could be the answer, you know? But looking back, I think I was running around trying to like you know, drive her here and drive her there and fix this and fix that. And then when, as a child too, when you think you need to be fixed all the time, you know, like that's not healthy either in a way, you know? And, and I created this, like, where she would always just say kind of like, I just want to get rid of it. I'm just determined to get rid of it. And, um and I kind of now say like, well, maybe just learning to live with it or accept that, you know, this is where you are right now. It doesn't mean it's forever, but that it's, I think sometimes when you push against something so much, it just persists, right? Guess what? You resist persists. So just sort of embracing it and hoping for more solutions and focusing on what we do have, you know, this sounds again, cliche, but it's so true. And, And I think a lot of it only comes with perspective, unfortunately, you know, like, I don't know if I could, if I were to go back and do it all over again, I don't know if I would have done it differently because, you know. You just do the best you can in the moment.
0: Well, I don't know. She, she may not want to, I only just wrote an article, you know, I would mention it. it's not like I was not telling people I used to have epilepsy, but I didn't mention it. And I found out when it, it was like, you know, I hired a new editor recently. Um, she's volunteered with us for a long time and, and she was our editor for our book, but she was like, I'm. I was just coming up with topics for Epilepsy Awareness Month. And she's like, do you have any ideas or anyone you want me to interview? And I was like, well, I could tell my story. And then I found out that my operations director also didn't even know I had epilepsy. (laughs) And She's been with us since we opened our doors. And and so they're like, is there a reason you never shared that before? And I was like, no, I just (laughs) didn't. (laughs) So what I'm saying is that it might not
1: come to her for a while because I'm 35. <laughs> yeah. Right. And that's okay. It's, I can see how yeah. when it's not on your mind or doesn't need to be on your mind in a, in a daily basis or whatever, then you just sort of can hopefully let that, it's nice to let that go. Right. But I read your story. Like I kind of stumbled upon that in your feed and I was just like, oh my gosh, like that's so interesting. I had no idea. And I think it's, also really nice. Like one of the things that I've never really been able to do is get, become like a part of a group or, a, have any support from any other people that have epilepsy. I mean, like the doctor would say, like there's camps and sometimes it's really nice for the kids because they see all levels of it. So they can see sort of how lucky they are on some degrees and how, you know, things could be different. Um, but I just like, again, with five kids, it's like, there's only enough time in the day for some things. And it just, you know, and she's, want to go to those things she doesn't no probably not so it's again it's like she's not defined by it and and I also feel like yeah I don't know you know everybody's got to just find their there's no perfect way to get through things you know Mm -mm. try to as gracefully as possible I will say that um my
0: friend Ashley Wood who is a therapist and her business partner Polly Ely, who also has a podcast called Parent School. I've interviewed them both on the podcast. They, Polly developed something called the lab method. And with Ashley Wood, whose daughter has Dravet syndrome, which is a severe, rare epilepsy, she, they developed these, Polly was developing these life support cards. And with Ashley, they developed a deck just for epilepsy of, you know, like conversation cards Um, You might want to check them out. We partnered with them and put them on our e-commerce site. Well, I would love to. So you can find it there under books. If you just look under all books, I think it'd probably be under parenting or just click all books.
1: Yeah. Okay. Just wanted
0: to mention that. Love them. And I love what they're up to. They're working on doing different ones for other topics too, like ADHD and, you know, of course, just parenting ones, hacks. (laughs) what to say
1: so so much to navigate there on a daily basis with epilepsy and I think too one of her biggest struggles when she was having so many seizures was her memory was totally affected her short memory girl I know and mine's still
0: bad and my husband teases me he's never seen me have a seizure because I stopped having them about when I met him and I don't remember like I'm a visual person like I I, that's why I was like yeah you're both that's like totally me I struggle and I used to struggle with that because they did the IQ testing on me and then they would give me like two and a half times time on everything as everyone else at school and I abused that probably and looking back I would you know I could get off you know I could be excused from school as much as possible and I, I abused that too it's given a lot of things
1: Yeah, it's hard. That's what school is, I think, really hard. And that's why where she is at school is so nice because they... It's not a normal school. Yeah, they look at the whole of Dossie and her gifts and, you know, and then what she does take away from class and they can meet her where she is instead of just, like, trying to get her up to speed on whatever, you know, math there is or history. It's more like, what is she taking from it and how is she progressing? And because... When you have a memory issue, it's like Groundhog Day every day. Sometimes you just like, oh, my gosh. like it's frustrating. I, yeah. And how do you encourage somebody to keep trying when it just doesn't, the recall is not there. And so she developed her own strategies. That's what it is. Yeah. Stress. It becomes about strategies. Yeah. And find out how you learn, which a lot of people
0: need to do anyway, you know. So when testing me, I I found out I could get tested and they could call me ADD. And so then if I wanted, I could get Adderall. And I was getting that for a while. Oh, gosh. (laughs) But I found other things to help, you know, just the way I learn and and learning really about myself. Um, And in adulthood, we have loved to take um, a course called Mission Control, which our business coach has taught for our team a couple of times that those kinds of strategies, productivity strategies have helped me. Yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. I think it's all about strategies. And I think maybe one of the gifts of COVID too, is that, you know, it's going to be a different time. Our educational system is going to totally change. And, you know, the kids applying to colleges and I mean, everything's just different. Right. And what are, what do these, I mean, even like with math, my son was saying everything we take now is open book because in life, you're going to be able to Google Everything, you know, you're going to be able to get whatever answer you want like that. So they are teaching more things like, you know, how to do your taxes and how to, I don't know, balance your checkbook, all those things that are like life skills, which I think is so important. So that's like so important. And and for my daughter, too, to just, um, you know, she's probably better set up with more strategies and she's than my other kids because she's had to be having those coping tools and stuff to get through so I think you know there's so many different ways that kids learn and especially with so many different special needs and stuff it's really trying to find that those intrinsic gifts in the child and bringing that forward and then giving them the strategies to move through through life as a responsible adult and the confidence no matter what challenges they face that they can be you know a well-balanced contributor to society. And really, I think the heart, I think that's where nature connection comes in to play too. It's really that grounding feeling of connectedness that sometimes we don't get from other humans. It just comes with the peace of all that's around us. I remember the first camping trip we went on with the school, the head of school we were up in a little basin up North a little bit. And there were these huge redwoods And he was talking about how like amazing, like everybody was circled up and he's like, look at these amazing trees. And at the base of every tree are billions of microbes keeping these trees alive. And I wanted to like yell at him, like you are a redwood, like you're just like a redwood we have, you know, at our base, like billions of microbes that are working every day to keep our immune system strong, which is the headquarters of our, our health. And, and then, you know, so I say, I've said this before, but just as you wouldn't pour gasoline around those redwoods every day just a little bit every day and expect them to do very well why do we ingest toxins every day thinking that it's going to be okay like eventually the tree might survive for a while but it's gonna die eventually right it's gonna be like I can't take it anymore and then he went on to say like okay I want all of you to go pick up all the micro trash that you find so we can leave this place as we left it or even better than as we found or as we found it And um, so, you know, just any little piece of trash that's been left. And I thought about that, like, you know, if we didn't do that, then the next group in probably wouldn't notice much. But then if the next group doesn't do that, then the next group, if the trash just the micro trash just keeps building up, eventually people are going to come and be like, this place is gross, right? Like it's filthy with trash. And that's if you think of that as our bodies, too, you know, if you just keep leaving the micro trash and filling it up with toxins, you're going to be... You feel gross, right? So we're just like nature and we need to look at ourselves as miraculous beings. Like we look at something in nature, like a peacock or something that's just like, like I just posted a Romanesco cauliflower. That's just like miraculous. And you're like, wow, like how does nature produce that? But if we could unzip ourselves and realize like, oh my God, all these systems are working every single minute of every single day that we pay no attention to, and we can walk and we can talk and we can see and we can ride bikes and we can do all these things and we can like produce a human like it's amazing. So to to think of ourselves as just these amazing, you know, beings that it's such a gift. And so to really treat I mean, again, it sounds cliche, but your body is your temple and you really have one and that's it. So you're way better off preventing and being healthy than to be all of a sudden sick and be chasing health because you will i will get sick eventually yeah it, it does it it's not a matter of if it's or if yeah it's not a matter of if it's when right and so it's just we we spent all of our time and money chasing health and it's no fun so we want these kids i mean that's one of the reasons i became the lunch ladies we want these kids like knowing what it feels like to feel good and then being able to go pursue their dreams and do whatever they want not be like 20 and be like i have ibs and i Yeah, poop, and I'm like miserable, and my skin's terrible, and then, you know, or then they have infertility, like we've, you know, lived it, and it's no fun. Mm -hmm. No, it's not fun. It's not supposed to be like that, yeah. Expensive. And expensive, yes.
0: Yes, people don't think about that, and when you're young, they don't think about, you know, well, if I don't take care of myself now and eat right now, I might end up being infertile.
1: Yeah, that's one of the biggest lessons I can give to moms, too, I think, is I just recently had this realization because I'm just like, why? You know, my kids are teenagers. So it's like they're in that invincible stage and they think nothing's gonna ever happen. And and I'm just wanting to just, keep telling them and telling them and telling them. And they're just like, whatever. We've heard it a million times. And then I interviewed this woman whose husband's from Tunisia and they make this beautiful Tunisian sauce. And I was like, oh, take us back to like how it was in his mom's kitchen and give us a glimpse of that. And, you know, the mom would shop every day with the grandmother and the aunties and be cooking and there's farmer's markets every day. And that they just, that was just their way of life. Everything was fresh. Everything was delicious and homemade with love. And that feeling is what infused in Muhammad, the child. And that is what he took away with him to America. And he's recreating these sauces because he wants that feeling again. So if we can think of what, Feelings you want your kids to feel and walk away with. Like I always, dinner time is non-negotiable. Like we may have the simplest, whatever, fried eggs and avocado for dinner, but we always sit down together because I remember sitting down as a kid every night with my family for dinner. I don't remember one conversation we ever had, but we always sat down together and it was a nice feeling. And so if you can just think of what you want your kids to feel Instead of like the principles, those will infuse into them automatically. That's what I keep telling myself anyway. I'm like, <laughs> say a prayer, say a prayer. But, you know, they're going to go off and do whatever. And they hopefully won't have to have too harsh of a lesson, you know, with their health. And, and hopefully never have to have that lesson. But, but I do know that we have been 14. 14- years eating this way and every single year I'm like oh and my kids are never sick knock on wood I don't I'm like am I gonna jinx myself but now it's been 14 years of me saying that and they really are never sick I still get that feeling like I'm totally jinxing myself but I I have the same feeling too because my kids haven't been sick
0: in a while they're they're quite quite healthy and and things turn themselves around really quickly with some great soup and and Bone broth when they are sick and and all the tools in my toolkit. Totally. Most of the
1: time, that's always worked for me or every time so far. They'll take with them is that when I was sick, my mom turned to the kitchen. She didn't just throw me on antibiotics and go get Robitussin and, you know, so that hopefully will. And I say to them, I'm teaching you this because you're going to have to teach this to your kids. You know, this is important. So... You've done such a great
0: job bringing your wisdom and your knowledge in a fun way to people on your Instagram account and at the school. Um, Why is it so important to you to share with others and to connect with other mamas out there?
1: Well, you know, I guess I've, I've witnessed the power. I say, you know, again, I've said this so many times, I've seen the power of food as medicine as well as the destruction of disease. And it to me, it seems so achievable for so many people to just grab that information and start to make changes. And it's so rewarding in the end, it's so rewarding. And I feel like if it's fun and inspiring and hopeful that you know, it's, that's the way I'm trying to always like think wrong about it a little bit, like making it goofy and making it, and we're actually starting a podcast ourselves. So that, because I really just feel like I just want to engage people. And I feel like with 54% of our children with a chronic disease. There are so many desperate moms out there that do not have a roadmap. They don't have a glimmer of hope. They don't have somebody that's saying you can do it, or there is a better way, or there's another way, or there's a way to combine things so that, you know, that you can heal and that you can heal. Like a lot of people, a lot of doctors, I interviewed a mom the other day whose daughter had some like severe form of leaky gut called F pies. I'd never even heard of it. And the doctor was like, well, she's probably just going to be on formula. For the rest of her life. And so I was like, what? Like, so the mom lasted until age four and then she was having another baby and she just found the gaps diet and dove full in and totally healed the child. And she's like a competitive gymnast now. And she's like 11 or nine and thriving when like, you know, uh, somebody from the medical establishment said, this is just sort of like the way it is. And so to question authority and know that again, your body's miraculous and it, it wants to heal. And so there's nothing, I really feel like there's nothing that can't be healed. And then there's also, you know, like the work of like Joe Dispenza. Um, Do you know him? Yeah. Like the um, placebo or being superhuman. I forget what that one's called, but you know, the power of the mind is so incredible and I want to get more, you know, learn more and more about that, but it's so incredible. Even like Michael Singer, the untethered soul and, I forget the next one's like living a life of surrender, which I've listened to like three times on audible this summer. And it's just, I think surrendering sometimes and really just getting out of the mind is so, yeah. You know. So there's just so many tips that I find that again, with comes with perspective that I hope to give hope to this next generation of moms that, you know, are even, you know, struggling probably more so than we our generation is. And it's not going to get better unless we do give that hope to this these young moms. And I want these, and the reason, again, to become the lunch lady is that hopefully these kids wake up in their teens and 20s and realize that there is a better way and that it's cool to take control of your own health. And it's cool to feel well. And it's cool to give health to a, I mean, birth to a healthy baby and that it's important and that you don't want to be spending your days trying to figure out what's wrong with your child. And you want to make, I think it was Andy Wakefield who said, make decisions based off of knowledge, not ignorance. So the more you know, the better you will be empowered to make decisions that work for you, right? And it's your choice to make. So, you know, again, it's like we don't have those ancestors telling us, giving us the roadmap. So unfortunately, we're kind of on our own. So that's where we have to become the ancestors in training so we can pass that that down as best we can, right? We're still learning every day. If you didn't have such a great name for your Instagram, is that what you're going to call your podcast,
0: School of Lunch? It's going to be the Soul Show.
1: Oh, okay. I was going to say Ancestors and Training is a great name too. Right? I know. Well, we're aiming to, so School of Lunch, um, you know, we're hoping to school people on all things diet and lifestyle and health and wellness and have fun doing it because again, you can get so consumed. And when I was a young mom, so consumed with healing, it can be daunting and offensive to people, you know, because you're just like in that world and that's all you think about and that's all you do. But if you can kind of realize that like each day, if you can have a little infused, a little fun and not take everything so seriously that things take time and be patient that, you know, it's, it's a gift to be able to infuse that little bit of laughter and fun into it all. And especially for kids too, when you're trying to heal kids, it's not fun for them. You know, they don't want to be drinking soup, breakfast, lunch, and dinner and doing all, you know, but if you can get goofy with it all and, you know, so that's what we really hope is to infuse the information. We say we're like healthy fats. Like, you know, the fat is what carries all the nutrition to all the cells and stuff. And so we're like the fat that just is going to infuse all the, good stuff into people, but having, feeling good while doing it, you know? Well, I can't wait. When is your first episode going to drop? Well, it's being edited right now. We kind of like just did it, you know, we just jumped on and, and it's, how, and it's kind of how you start anything. Right. I know. I was like, well, we could get really anal about it and redo it and get the lighting perfect and get the audio perfect. But it's like, I just feel like, you know, just keep going. Right. Just keep going. So, so yeah. So we're taking people through the alphabet um, each podcast is another letter and alphabet of answers. And Rita, my sidekick, she was a lunch lady with me and she's had her own healing journey. And she's really more like she considers herself like the audience, like somebody who's just more recently come to real food in the last three, four, five years and has completely taken control of her kitchen. And now she's so empowered and she cooks at home and she makes her own bone broth and, um, and she just sees such benefits from it. But we both understand where we came from. You know, we both have our stories. So it's not like we're perfect. And we're just like, we can, we're relatable because we've been there, you know, we've been in the thick of it and in the trenches. And, um, but, but the food, food is foundational part of it just is like what we really want to just infuse into people. And so, but I think if moms can tune in and just laugh a little bit along the way, then and we it's hilarious. So Well, if our listeners want to learn
0: more about GAPS or about
1: your journey, where can they find you, Hillary? Well, uh, schooloflunch.com and then schooloflunch on Instagram is the best. But yeah, if people could please go to schooloflunch.com and sign up for our newsletter, that's the best way the website will what we're building is an online education platform. I mean, we've had our Lunch Leader Training Academy last summer where we trained lunch leaders to go into not only school systems, but even if you just want to go into your own home and flip things around and be cooking, you know, with nutrient density, or if you want to go into a hospital or a YMCA, you name it, a restaurant, whatever, we're training people these traditional methods of cooking and these foundational ancestral principles. So so we're kind of taking that all online now since... Everything is becoming online, but hopefully soon enough, we'll be able to get back in person because there's nothing better than that. Are your kids at home there in California? They're all virtual. They don't have an option there at the independent school? I know, which is kind of crazy because it's a nature-based school. So they were going to school only for like a month or the last month or two, twice a week for sports. And with masks, you know, six feet apart or whatever. So it's not really competitive sports, it's just more like, but the kids would come home, even with that, noticeably different. Just the interaction with peers is like so phenomenal. So it's so destructive what's happening where we're removing our children. Um, and then my eighth grader was going a half a day on Thursdays, but then everything just got locked down again. So everything is cut off until middle of January. So, you know, it's such a shame. I really, you know... If everybody could just understand the immune system a little bit better. I, I don't want our children also growing into this like state of fear that they have to fear their natural surroundings and the people around them. And that, you know, if they if they can understand that they are healthy and strong, that they'll be they'll be fine no matter what they face. So hopefully things will get back. Yeah. Well,
0: I cannot predict. I can't even see what next week's going to look like
1: part of me is like maybe I move to the farm somewhere where I'm just like part of me wants to do that just because that's again another step in showing my children I want to do that I'm like if we're gonna live here in Kansas City I know we
0: could just like this is the house we bought here is not a permanent home it was supposed to be a temporary home so we will move again but I think like I'd like to live you know further away from the city and have some land and you know like a little micro farm. And my husband's like, huh? And I'm like,
1: please, I mean, come on. Well, Part of me is like, I can't even keep the flowers alive, like outside my doorstep. Like, (laughs) how am I going to keep anything else alive? But I also think like the screens are driving me crazy. And like my children don't understand that they can't like go from all day online to then go you know, maybe eat something and then come and go back online to be with their friends. It's like, you haven't even seen the light of day. Like you have to get outside. You're a human being. You need sunshine, you need movement. And so I fear for that. That's giving me the most anxiety right now. So it's just like, part of me wants to just pull the plug and like unschool, but I don't know that I'm cut out for that, but to just show them that there's like a whole world out there that, you know, and I don't know, I don't know. I don't have the answer to that one quite yet, but it's, sort of devastating to watch the effects of online
0: <laughs> well thank you so much for your time hillary i could talk to you for hours and hours oh, stay um, in touch it's like yes spirits yes it's so fun to Um, meet the people who online have been my, you know, friends online that I don't really know.
1: I know, right? Well, (laughs) mama's got to stick together. We really, really do. And there's, you know, that's one of the reasons we're starting our um, School of Lunch online community is because it's like, I think when you feel supported, anything seems possible, but when you're isolated, it's just. Yeah. Swimming, swimming against
0: the, the current,
1: right? We are the same. And I like to call us the good crazies because everyone's crazy, but we're like good crazies.
0: <laughs> I hope you enjoyed our conversation today and that you learned something new. Do you have a question for Hillary? Have you ever tried the GAPS diet? Will you try a recipe or two now? Tell us. We would love to hear from you. Email us at info at com. Be sure to subscribe, follow, and share our podcast if that feels true for you. You may also consider visiting our website for more information on stories, therapies, and products that we think you will love. As always, thank you for spending your precious time with us at The Brain Possible. See you next Tuesday and be well.